I'm, I'm writing. You know how to write? Without the, without the, without the writing, you have nothing. I'm writing. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Home Row, and I'm your host, Jeff Metters, and on today's show, I have author Wesley Hill on the program. He's written all kinds of books, and it's just a joy to have him on, especially we're going to talk about his new book in the Christian Essential series, The Lord's Prayer, A Guide to Praying to Our Father. So, Wes, how are you, man? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on the show. Awesome, man. Now, what what part of the United States are you in? Are you in the United States? I know you got your PhD from outside of the United States, but I think you're in Pennsylvania, right? That's right. Yep. I'm just outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. I've been to Pennsylvania, well, I guess a couple, no, once for sure. I went to Red Lion, Pennsylvania. I'm not even sure where that is, to be honest. I don't know my own state. (laughs) It's it's up (laughs) in the Amish country. Hmm. And I remember going there with some friends of ours that were missionaries in Thailand and they were in town and we went to go visit them and we went to the Amish market and all this stuff. And I bought kangaroo jerky. I I don't know where the Amish are getting kangaroo jerky from, (laughs) but it's there. And fun fact that if you go to the Amish markets and stuff, you can't use your debit card or credit card Mm -hmm. cash only. I would believe that. Yep. That's something you want to, you want to prepare for that ahead of time, which I did not. That's right. I did not. That's right. Thankfully they had an ATM nearby. So So. probably really beautiful country to drive through too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Great. Horse buggies and all that good stuff. And then there was a few guys on rollerblades, which is interesting. Oh, right. And so we had to talk about the, you know, it's not a motor. It was a wheel. So they, they were okay with that and all this different stuff. It was interesting. Interesting. We'll come to Pittsburgh sometime. There we go. We're a pretty fun city, too. Okay, I'll put it on the list. Now, before this turns into an Amish podcast, (laughs) so Wes, why don't don't you tell the listeners out there who you are, uh, what you do for work, and uh, all that good stuff. Yeah, great. Well, the reason you're having me on your podcast is I am a writer. I've just written a new little book for Lexham Press on the Lord's Prayer, and I really enjoy writing. I've written a handful of books, as you mentioned, so that I view that as part of my calling, part of what I do. But for my day job, so to speak, I am a seminary professor. I teach at a small Anglican Episcopal seminary here in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, which is just northwest of Pittsburgh. And I've been here, I'm in my eighth year now, and I teach in the Bible department. I teach New Testament. I'm also ordained. I do some preaching and lead Sunday school at my church. So I'm, I'm pretty involved in, in different kinds of ministries. But that's that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. So when, when you're not lecturing, oh, let me ask just for fun for me, what, what textbook are you using for your New Testament survey? You know, I'm test driving the new N.T. Wright one that he co-authored with yeah, Mike yeah. Bird. It's gigantic. It's, from it's huge. It's huge. When it arrived on my doorstep, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like a brick. Yeah. So we'll see. It, it looks really beautifully illustrated. Yeah. And Emails I, from I, the I edge assigned. is a cool feature. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, Wright is so engaging in the way he writes. I imagine it will be something that will grip a lot of the students. But, yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. Are, they, are you having them read the whole thing? They're not going to read every single page, but they're going to they're going to read all the chapters devoted to different New Testament books. Okay. for sure. Yeah, that's right. So I, I'm planning yeah. this year. I'm just I want to read all of the condensed version of Wright's works and then, mm. you know, maybe a couple of the New Testament, you know, summary parts, but then save those for when I'm about to preach through a book or go or go study a book. 
Yeah. Yeah. Great. I mean, I think that that series of books, you know, the for everyone commentaries are such yeah. a gift to the church. I've heard of so many Bible study groups using those and, and finding them really beneficial. So, yeah. Definitely a lot, yeah. lot of good things to dig into there. Okay, cool. So, so when you're not lecturing and you're not writing and you're not, you're not preaching, what, what are you doing for fun? You know, so I have a unique living situation. I live about five blocks from the seminary campus where I work, uh, Trinity School for Ministry, it's called. And I share a home with uh, a married couple and their two children. And a lot of evenings you'll find me playing with their kids. They're they're my godchildren. Wow. I've gotten to really enjoy kind of a, a domestic life. I love cooking now. And I, well, I've, I've loved cooking for a long time. It's been a way to kind of unwind after a day at the writing desk or something like that. But it's it's a joy to be doing it, you know, with people I love now and, and sharing daily life with them. So, yeah, lots of their, their kids are now three years old and six months old. So a lot of playing playing house and playing with dolls with the with the three year old girl, Felicity. And changing some diapers with Solomon. So, <laughs> yeah, That's great, man. Uh, it's, it's, it's been really life giving for me. I'm, I'm single and it's just been great to kind of be integrated into the life of yeah. a family in that way. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. So how did you know that you wanted to become a writer or that you were a writer? Did uh, it come to you in a, in a vision, like maybe a, <laughs> a sheet, just not full of lizards and reptiles, but of keyboards and, you know, journals? <laughs> take yeah. up and take up and run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure I ever like set out to become a writer, quote unquote, but I, I do vividly remember, you know, at age, gosh, I was probably 11 or 12 when I just started writing short stories on my, my family's computer. And I actually wrote a novel, a detective novel, oh, wow. mystery novel when I was over 13. Do you still have, so do you still have these? I, 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 I still do. I'm, I'm scared to go back and read. Oh them, man. Yeah. It'd probably be yeah. So I, you know, I, and I remember, I remember submitting a, a short story to, did you ever read Clubhouse magazine put out by Focus on the Family? Yeah. I, I submitted a short story to them one time. And so I, I think I always kind of had the itch to like, you know, it's a strange thing. I think so many of us write, but fewer of us have that urge to like share it with other people and mm-hmm. put it out there. And I think I have always kind of had that urge to to share my writing with others. So so maybe there's a part of me that has always wanted to be, you know, a writer as as a as a job. <laughs> but yeah, so it 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 sort of emerged out of I, I developed a real love for theology and and just good writing when I was in high school and then I went to college at Wheaton. And so I, I kind of developed a sense of calling that I'm, I want to be a teacher in the church. I want to be a theologian. And I think the writing piece of it kind of grew out of that for me. But I've always just enjoyed, I was actually talking to a writer friend yesterday about how it seems like a lot of Christians um, care about getting good ideas out there, but maybe fewer Christians kind of enjoy crafting sentences and right. playing with and I've always enjoyed both aspects, you know, the the big ideas of theology, but also just trying to find exactly the right way to express them in a way that's going to be engaging and interesting. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of how it started for me. What's some of your writing process like? Because obviously, like a lot of writers that, you know, we're not full time, you know, none of us, none of the people I've interviewed, I think, or none of my listeners, you know, weren't evangelical writing. And so this is not the kind of writing where you can live off of this stuff. The, the royalty checks are maybe, you know, we can go out to eat. Like let's, I'll treat some guys to, you know, some coffee this weekend or you know, right. sometimes they're <laughs> very, very puny. Sometimes they're, sometimes they're nice. Sometimes they're not, but 
you know, you've, you know, you're teaching, you're, you're pastoring, you've got your church community. I mean, you've just got all kinds of stuff. So with all of that in the, in the balance, uh, how do you find time to, to write? Yeah. You know, I, I started, I started my academic career thinking that, oh my gosh, I've now landed like one of those coveted jobs where I get a couple of months off in the summer and that's going to be like my writing time. I'll, I'll get so much done. And I also get, you know, a big chunk of time off around Christmas. That'll be another big productive time. And I've realized for me, like that's, if I pin all of my writing hopes on those kind of big blocks of time, it just never, it never happens. You know, something will come in to kind of crowd it out. So it has to be more of a weekly or even daily discipline. And I, I sort of learned that, you know, early on, I remember Tim Larson who teaches church history at Wheaton telling me, I, I asked him, you know, how have you managed to write so much while being a full-time teacher at Wheaton? And he said the key for him is just not, not counting on the holidays, not counting on the sabbaticals, but just kind of chipping away at it mm-hmm. in small chunks um, week by week. And I, I think that's been true for me, you know, so I, I, I'll get up early and, and write before I have to go to class or I'll, you know, come home and, and, you know, so, so typically at my seminary, we teach in three hour blocks. So like this morning I was in the classroom from nine to noon and, you know, now I'm here at my home office uh, talking to you this afternoon, but, but, you know, I have a couple hours after this and I can, I can get some writing done there. So I think it's, I think it's just finding those blocks of time and and then guarding them. So I'll actually put into my calendar, you know, this two hour chunk this mm. afternoon is blocked off as writing. And then when I when I see that, I know I can't schedule something else during that time. And yeah, just kind of kind of safeguarding those those moments that you're able to to block off during the week. But but it is, you know, I, I think I think there's no way around the fact that it is a sacrifice. I mean, you're giving up time to do this, you know, if you care about it. So you're waking up earlier than maybe would be comfortable for you normally to, to, to try to write something. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that that's anything profound, but that's, that's kind of how it's worked for me. No, that's great. I think just that little bit of advice just to even put in your own calendar, like writing and to actually yeah. do it and not take appointments, not, you know, not fill it up and to exactly. do it. That's huge. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to sort of give yourself permission to say, this is worth doing. Therefore I'm going to like say no to, to other appointments that might arise in order to, to safeguard that time. I think that's important. Do you always write at, at your home office there, your home study, or do you like you go to the coffee shop or seminary library or what's, what's your uh, environment you know, I, like? I find that I, I find that I really can't go to the seminary because there's just so many interruptions. Like, right. you know, I, I mean, colleagues and students will come by and I, and I love that, you know, but I basically end up just talking the whole time <laughs> rather than getting work done. So I will, I will go to Starbucks and, and write a lot of my best writing though, I think just happens here at my home office. You know, I've got a, mm-hmm. I've got a little space on the third floor of our house where I have all my books and, you know, a desk where I can kind of spread out. So that seems to work best for me. What's your, what's your go-to order at Starbucks? <laughs> you know, I'm very boring. It's just a tall, dark roast. Pretty boring, yeah. <laughs> pretty plain. But the price is right compared to their other. Oh drinks. yeah, no kidding. <laughs> if you want to, if you want to get adventurous and you haven't tried it yet, the nitro cold brew is yeah amazing. I, I do yeah. So in the summers, I do like the cold brews, and you're right, the nitro is pretty great. Yeah, well, I guess it is cold up there right now. Here I, I'm yeah. in, I'm in Houston, and it's actually cold right now. And so I'll tell you what it is for us. It's 53 degrees right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is, this is like freezing, you know? Yeah. Everyone's yeah, exactly. in big, like I took my son to school this morning. Everybody's in big puffy jackets and, and hoodies exactly. and all this stuff. So this is blistering <laughs> well, I, cold. I, I grew up in Arkansas, so I get that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you got it. 
Yeah. So I love the nitro cold brew with the salted foam. Oh man, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I got Matt Smethers at the gospel coalition. I think he's full on addicted to it now as well. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> so, so when you're writing there at your home office, are you using music? Are you, were you, you know, I like to pop a vinyl record on if, you know, if I feel yeah. like I'm going to be in the, in the groove there, what are you doing? Yes, sometimes. It has to be instrumental music for me. So I've, I I have been on a big Max Richter kick lately, listening to his Sleep album, which is just a masterpiece, I think. So yeah, sometimes I'll have music on in the background. Other times I'll just be so much in the zone that I kind of just, I need no distractions at all, including instrumental music. But yeah, maybe I'm unusual in that way. I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. I, I've heard from all kinds of, you know, people the way they do, like, yeah, they have no music or they use the there's a website called coffee Ivity where it has like the background ambient noise of like a coffee shop. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don Whitney was actually the one that, that showed me, showed me that I think uh, there's uh, people using, yeah, like jazz music. So I like to, I like to write to jazz right now. I have the, the hub of Hubbard over there on my, on my record player, okay. on my yeah, turntable. Great. Then I've got usually Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk, some, something or the stranger Things soundtrack, like something's going to go up there. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. That'd be fun to listen to. Now, now let's say you're going to sit down to write because now I, I know you, you write books, but I feel like I've seen you write articles at websites mm-hmm. every now and then. Mm-hmm. Am, am I mistaken? No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've written for Christianity Today and First Things and the now sadly defunct books and culture, my favorite yeah. place to write for. No, no more. But yeah. So I, I try to I try to write for some periodicals as well. Okay. So let's, let's think about the periodical stuff before we get into book writing. Um, you're going to sit down to write an article for, for a magazine, for a website. What is the, how does it begin for you? Do you, do you outline just on a piece of paper? Are you crafting an Evernote? What's the, are you writing a Microsoft word or like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, so it, it, it often begins with me noticing a hook for an article. Like I'll, I'll, I'll see a news piece that triggers some line of thought and, and, you know, I carry around a, a moleskin notebook and I'll, I'll sometimes just jot down a quick outline for a piece and then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come back and, and open up Microsoft Word and, and, and just start writing. You know, I'll have the outline in my head and sometimes it really changes, you know, as I go on, I kind of try to follow what the piece seems to want, <laughs> if that doesn't sound too esoteric, yeah. but just kind of, kind of seeing what, how, how it goes from that point. And, you know, I think, I think I've had to learn, you know, so I, I got a PhD in, in academic biblical studies and there's a certain kind of style that's expected for that genre, but it's a very different thing to write for a website or a, or a periodical where you're, you're really trying to hold the reader's attention you know, you, you can't count on the reader's attention in the way that maybe you can if you've written a, a monograph that you know someone who's researching this topic is going to want to read. You you actually have to earn the reader's trust and, and convince them that this is this is worth, you know, worth their time. So, yeah, for me, it often begins with with a kind of hook, whether from from pop culture or something I'm reading, something I've heard in the news. And, and I'll often try to kind of reflect on it theologically or, or bring some kind of historical or, or biblical depth to it in that sense. But, but yeah, so I think it, and I, and I wouldn't claim to be an expert here, but, it, but it's a very different kind of thing to be writing for a, a popular audience uh, versus an academic audience. And I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to hone my craft in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine the challenges for all that. I, I mean, I, I can't a little, a tad bit, cause I, mm-hmm. you know, I've written two books solo, co-authored one, 
And then writing, you know, for, for a popular level, like my most recent book is Humble Calvinism that came out with a good book company. Mm. And so, you know, writing with, with some snap and crackle and pop and some wit and, and punch is, is a lot of fun. And then right. I'm getting ready for PhD stuff. And so I had to do some, some work before that. And yeah, getting, trying to get more, cause I've never done heavy academic writing or, or mm. having to, and some mm. of the pre-work for that, that I've had to do is like, Oh my goodness, this is, yeah. this is way, yeah. way different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having said that, I suppose the flip side is, you know, when you read a really well-crafted piece of academic writing. It's a reminder that not all academic writing has to be cold and boring and clinical. You know, there, there are writers, I'm thinking of people like Richard Hayes, who right. write beautiful prose in a, in a very academic way, or, or N.T. Wright would be another uh-huh, good example, yeah. you know, someone who, who, who writes really well in that mode. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of trying to beat the drum for, you know, more, more of us who are trained professionally in the guild of biblical studies or theology should care about good sentences and absolutely like say the, the the snap and the and the crackle and the wit and those things yeah like kevin van hooser he's got to be one of my favorites yeah yeah or robert jensen the late robert jensen yeah just, john webster like, yeah man they're just a joy to read and they just offer so much and michael bird too michael bird's hilarious <laughs> and so yeah bird and write together i mean that's like peanut butter and jelly this is great <laughs> Now, in, in writing your, your latest book, The Lord's Prayer, uh, A Guide to Praying mm-hmm. to Our Father. So when this, when this project was, you, you signed on, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to mm-hmm. do this book. Was there ever a moment of regret? And in and, and this way, I, man, I got to try to say something new and fresh on The Lord's Prayer. <laughs> like, you know, there's <laughs> tons and tons of books. Yeah. Like, so man, yeah. the, the challenge to, to tackle The Lord's Prayer is, is, is a daunting one for such a small, for such a small yeah. section in, in the New Testament, Absolutely. you know, nestled there in the Sermon on the Mount. That's yeah. Right. So, so tell us about, you know, kind of the process for, for writing this book and then I'll, then I'll, I'll follow up, but just also kind of what you're, what yeah. you're, what you're, yeah. what you're hoping that disciples of Christ uh, learn as they read this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I guess maybe the first thing to say is I didn't set out to write on the Lord's Prayer. I didn't imagine I would ever do that. I mean, I've, I've certainly taught it and continue to teach it at the seminary where I where I work, but I didn't ever imagine writing a book on it. Like you say, there's been so much <laughs> that's been written. But Lexham Press, as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation today, has a new series they've launched called Christian Essentials. And they're, they're short little books that are um, designed to be used in churches, you know, in Sunday school classes and kind of catechetical settings. So the first one came out a couple of years ago, I think now, uh, The Apostles' Creed yeah, by I, the Australian, yeah. Australian theologian Ben Myers. And uh, so I, I got an email from, from an editor there and he said, hey, would you be interested in contributing this series? And we talked about what I might do and kind of settled on the Lord's Prayer. So it felt a little bit like, you know, in my in my tradition, uh, each Sunday we're we're given the text to preach from. We don't we don't choose them. You know, the lectionary chooses them mm-hmm. for us, and and it sort of felt a bit like that. You know, here I am being handed this text that right. I I didn't necessarily <laughs> uh, imagine I would be writing on, and and now you know, do I have something to say about it? And yeah, I mean, you ask about regret. There there was a moment early on in the process where I went to the library and I was I was kind of had my breath taken away by just how many individual volumes have already been written on the yeah. Lord's Prayer, you know, stretching back to the very earliest days of the church. I mean, you know, we have we have discourses on the Lord's Prayer from Origen and Augustine. And, uh, you know, it's just such a it's such well trodden ground 
So, you know, I think I think there was that that initial kind of shock. And then I thought, you know, every generation needs to ponder this again. So it's it's not a problem that there would be more more reflection on the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's one of those texts that's so foundational for the faith that we will never not need more meditation on it. That's right. So. So, yeah, that that kind of took away some of the pressure. And, you know, I was kind of praying about what 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 direction do I need to go here what what angle do I have and and you know I remembered several years ago George Hunsinger the the reformed theologian at Princeton published a little book on the beatitudes and he he in the preface he says he was kind of in a similar place he had been asked to give these lectures on the beatitudes and he didn't know kind of which way to go and then he said, you know, what would happen if I if I approached them Christocentrically and said, you know, each of these beatitudes is a is a window into the character and the work of Jesus Himself, mm-hmm. and and so he does that. He just kind of goes through beatitude after beatitude and says, how does this point to Christ? And I thought, you know, what 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 if I approach the Lord's Prayer that way? Obviously, Jesus is giving us this prayer for us to pray, but you know, before that or, or above that or beyond that, all of the all of the clauses, all of the petitions point to him and tell us something about him. And he he embodies the prayer. Uh, I mean, he even he even literally prays, prays portions of the prayer, you know, throughout his ministry, like in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, thy will be done, you know, which is straight out of the Lord's Prayer. So he himself is is embodying this prayer. And and once I kind of once I kind of realized that was going to be my theme, it, it became much easier to kind of get, get into the prayer from there. Yeah, man, that's, yeah, that's so beautiful. It, it reminds me of when, you know, I had Jen Wilkin on the show and, you know, she's written, written books on the attributes of God and I asked her that it's similar, like, Hey, you know, A.W. Pink, you got A.W. Tozier. I mean, you got uh, Holiness of God, R.C. Sproul, you know, all right. kinds. Right. So like, why again? But yeah. The, the, and the next generation, right. this yeah. era of, of disciples who they're not going to go pick up origin. They're not going to go pick up yeah. Augustine or, or whatever. Although they should. They should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they'd be so yeah. blessed to it, but yeah, to be, and maybe some people will be introduced to, to the Lord's yeah, prayer that's right. That's right. Th- through this resource. You know, I should say that's the other thing that made me excited about this series is when, when Todd Haynes at Lexham was pitching it to me, he said, you know, we, we want these books to be people's introductions to some of the tradition of the church, you know, so he said, feel free to draw on the church fathers and the Protestant reformers and, you know, the, 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 the really great Christian writers of the past. And I said, yeah, I mean, that's really exciting to think about a contemporary book being used as a, as a gateway into some of these treasures of, of centuries past. Yeah, I love it. I think it's great. Was there were there any parts of the book that um, you you found maybe one one chapter to be more more challenging than other others that you can remember? You know, I found the, the the petition "Lead us not into temptation" or "Save us from the time of trial." You know, it gets it gets translated different ways. I found that really challenging. You know, partly because it's been in the headlines. It's actually been in the news because Pope Francis, you know, is supposedly advocating this this change in the petition because, you know, we don't want to imply that God is the one who leads us into temptation. Right. So I just I, I, I struggled with how to how to kind of address that in a way that wouldn't be too technical but that would kind of lead people into the heart of it. And 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 again, you know, Jesus himself, he he says to his followers, you know, there right before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, "Pray that you will be spared from the time of trial." So he's he's teaching them exactly how to pray this and and what it means to pray this. And and so I I I I I, I wrestled with how to go about that, and I, I think I'm kind of happy with the result. But it was it was a really challenging chapter to write. Yeah. 
I love I love the Lord's Prayer, obviously, for, for all kinds of reasons. But there's one element of it that I just have really come to appreciate recently as I've been preaching through the gospel according to Matthew. You know, and Jesus tells them to pray like this. Mm. And so what he gives them doesn't even take 30 seconds to say. Yeah. And I think sometimes in as, as we're, you know, trying to follow Christ and everyone laments, you know, their, their prayer quote, quote life yeah. w- and wishes we had more robust and longer prayer times and longer seasons in prayer, which obviously we see also modeled by the Lord Jesus. But mm. I, I just find a, a peculiar comfort that he says, pray like this. And he gives yeah. us a 30 second short prayer yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. to really just validate all those times where we just say, I, I don't even know what to pray other than just Lord help me yeah. or God just bless me today. I, I need direction. I need guidance. And we feel like, ah, these short changed prayers, yeah. like I'm so unspiritual, but yeah. Jesus gives yeah. us a good model here. That's right. Well, and what a contrast to, you know, we, we have these examples in the gospels of, the religious leaders of Jesus day that he's disputing with that seem to love these very long theatrical kinds of prayer. And, and, you know, Jesus is, is offering something really simple as a contrast to that. And like you say, there's something comforting in that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Now you've written a a lot, lots of theological works and, and in magazines and articles, PR articles and and all that kind of good stuff. And you've also written on the Trinity. Paul and mm. the Trinity. Was that your dissertation or was it just a, an ac- another academic venture? Yeah, no, that that book was a revised version of my doctoral dissertation, which I completed at Durham uh, University in the UK. So, okay. yeah. Great. Now, so what are, so how come, let's let's go Trinitarian, how come the, the Trinity isn't like an apple and <laughs> are like an egg or like H2O? I mean, I just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, so, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I would never use one of those analogies. I just, just messed with so, uh, <laughs> Yeah. They're so fraught with potential for misunderstanding. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I tell people at our church, you know, we did a theology class and stuff. I just said, the reason why we can't find an, an, an apt analogy for the Trinity is because there is literally nothing else like it uh, in the universe and heaven and on earth and above the earth and the places invisible and visible. There's nothing else like the triune God. So, so outside of the just destined to crumble apple analogy and egg analogy and all that stuff, what are you, you would say some of the major, I guess, short sightedness of Trinitarianism today? And maybe mm. you see it with students or, or maybe just the way we think about the Trinity that you wish pastors and writers mm. and church leaders, small group leaders, Bible, women's Bible study leaders mm. would, would maybe, you know, could grow and shore up in. Yeah, boy, that's a really good question. Yeah, not not um, to be too broad. Or, or <laughs> yeah, no, I I think so. So I'm 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 currently reading through for the second time a really beautiful book, Volume One of uh, Systematic Theology by Catherine Zonderager, who's kind of working in the Reformed tradition, kind of kind of working with Karl Barth and and how he modified the tradition. And she's clearly, you know, Trinitarian in this volume, but she she talks about how she kind of gets worried sometimes that the way modern theologians treat the Trinity as if it's like the only Christian doctrine, like everything is Trinity. And she's she's kind of calling us back to recognize the the fundamental oneness and and unity of God. You know, so we we confess God existing eternally in three persons, but we we confess one God. There aren't three gods. You know, we we use this analogy of 
three persons in a dance or facing one another to try to, you know, get some purchase on the Trinity. But ultimately, we're talking, like you say, about the transcendent reality of God, which even into all eternity, we will never plumb the depths of. You know, I, I love I love Jonathan Edwards' vision of heaven that we'll never get to the end of exploring yeah. new new beauties in God. You know, we'll, we'll never comprehend God fully. So I think I, I think I would I, I would want to say to pastors and Bible study leaders who feel like, wow, the tr- everybody's talking about the Trinity now. The Trinity is so important. I have to really know all the ins and outs of all the doctrinal controversies. And I have to I have to always be speaking in like a, a communal idiom, like God is a community of persons. You know, I have to I have to always be thinking that way. I, I, I think there are some dangers there. And, you know, I think we need to remember that we're 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 using the language that God has revealed to us in his word of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. But that does not mean that we're talking about something that we would know of as a, as a community of, of three separate individuals. You know, we're talking about one God. We're talking about the one God of Israel who's now been been known to us, been revealed to us as, as Father, Son, and Spirit. And I think I think the other thing I would say, honestly, when I, when I teach the, the doctrine of the Trinity, you know, in, in, in church settings and, and Sunday school settings and things like that, I try to remind people that you may not know all the technical terminology that theologians use for it. But you are already a Trinitarian if you pray as a Christian. I mean, to, to bring this yeah. back to the Lord's Prayer, you know, if you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are already participating in the, the mystery of the triune God, because what you're doing is you're calling out to God the Father uh, in the name of God the Son, whose words you're using. You know, he's the one who gave you the words of this prayer to pray, and you're being borne along and carried along by the energy and, and power and prompting of the Holy Spirit. So, so it really, you know, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is an effort to say theologically what has to be true if, if that lived experience of prayer is is real and true. So so the doctrine in a sense is is there to clarify, it's there to kind of safeguard and to to ward off error, but actually the the getting the doctrinal formulations right is not the main event. The main event is actually this 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 relation we get to enjoy with God right. through through Christ and the Holy Spirit, you know, this relation of intimacy and prayer. Yeah, so I don't know if that's helpful. No, that's, that's good. That's yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen, amen. When let's say maybe a student, I'm sure you read and you get to grade all kinds of papers and, and you've seen good papers, you've seen good essays, you've seen really bad ones. What, what are some things that you would tell to a student, you would tell to a, a blossoming writer, Hey, do, do these two to three things. Hmm. And I think you'll really grow as a writer. Hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think the first thing I would say, and this, this comes straight out of my own autobiography. I mean, I, I, this is how I feel like I learned to write is, is find the best writers you can and read them just, just immerse yourself in, in good writing and ask yourself, you know, what, what, what makes it tick? I mean, I've, I've literally like grabbed an Alan Jacobs essay some sometimes or a James Wood essay and said, man, the prose is so good. Let me actually just pay attention to this paragraph. Like how did they structure it? Here's one long sentence with a couple of dependent clauses. Here's a shorter sentence, you know, like how did they do it? How did it work? Yeah. Um, so I, I think just, you know, reading a lot is key. And, uh, you know, I, I think none of us should be so arrogant to think that we have 
something to say unless we're filling ourselves up with with good good writing you know good good uh thinking i I think that good writing often begins with with receptivity you know with us with us receiving with us taking in before we have something to offer uh in writing so yeah and it you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be i think sometimes students feel intimidated oh there's so much good writing in the world like you know where do i even start but I would say just just, you know, to borrow a line from Alan Jacobs, read at whim, you know, read, read what strikes you, read what grips you. And, and, and the more you read, I think it will it will help your own writing. So so be a reader, I think would be the first thing. And now the flip side of that, the second thing I would say is I have a lot of students who, frankly, kind of clutter their essays with quotations from other writers it takes up space yeah. for the page count. The work yeah, count, well, you know? exactly, exactly. And uh, hey, I'm I'm an offender myself. I, I <laughs> my editors regularly have to trim out quotations uh, from others for me. But but I would say you know don't plagiarize, but also just don't don't rely on other words to 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 fill out your argument. You know, you 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 try to figure out how to say it in your idiom with your voice. And, you know, certainly pay your pay your intellectual debts by footnoting the people that, you know, have influenced you and shaped the argument that you're that you're writing. But but try to find your own voice. And and that that only emerges through practice. You know, you have to write and rewrite and rewrite. And so, yeah, those are those are a couple of things that I say to my students that maybe would be helpful for your listeners, too. Yeah, totally. What are some of some some of the people that you just love to read? When you mentioned like good reading, good writing, you know, a couple that you can name like, man, I love their I love their writing. Yeah, yeah. You know, someone I have just admired more and more in recent years is the way that the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, writes for popular audiences. I mean, he's he's long been known as a as a very serious academic theologian, but he's published, you know, volume sermons recently and just these little books. He has a little book with Erdman's called Being Christian Hmm. and uh, a follow-up volume called Being Disciples. And they're so winsome to me because they're they're obviously built on a lot of research and a lot of deep learning and study and prayer. But he writes so excessively like he, he throws out the academic jargon and he just he just writes like he's sitting across from you at a coffee shop talking with you. And I, I just am kind of in awe of that, you know, as someone who. You know, one of the things that getting a PhD does is it, it it kind of invites you to write in a very jargony style, and and for someone who's who's gone through that kind of training to then be able to say no, I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna write in a way that's more accessible. Mm-hmm. It's 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 both like really instructive for me, and it's also really inspiring. Um, another writer who I just hugely hugely admire just for the 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 sheer uh, beauty and zest of his sentences is Francis Spufford. He's written a great little kind of apologetic for Christianity called ironically unapologetic. Hmm. And he's recently published his first novel called golden Hill. And he's just an absolute delight to read. So he's, he's a, he's a Christian in the church of England. He, he, he was an atheist for many years and kind of came back to faith. And he's told me that he's working on some, some more Christian writing, more explicitly Christian writing. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what that will be Ah, in the years to come. Yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah, uh, listeners, be sure to go to the show notes there and you'll see links to Amazon and you'll find all of, of, of Wesley Hill's books there, The Lord's Prayer, Paul and the Trinity, Spiritual Friendship, and more. You'll, you'll find everything there. And then, Wes, if you people wanted to keep up with you on social media, where would you uh, tell them to go? 
if anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm still hanging out on Twitter. I can't seem yeah, to quit it. Yeah, I know. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just. I need. To, I need Twitter to Twitter. break up with me first. I need. To, I need Twitter That's to quit right. me exactly. first. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I try to, you know, if I write something online, I try to post it there so you can find my, my writing and things there. And I also have a little, uh, my own little blog is wesleyhill.tumblr.com. .tumblr.com. Okay, great. Well, bro, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. And uh, just giving your wisdom on, on writing. It's been really beneficial and I'm, I'm really grateful. Well, thanks for having me. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Great. And as always, listeners, remember, let's just keep writing.